On this week's show, we're joined by Jared O'Connor. The Tyrone native is the games manager for Dublin GAA with over 20 years experience in coaching and coach education. On the show, we talk about the importance of coaches being open to learning. We detail the coach education resources that are out there for all coaches from novice to elite. We discuss ideas and thoughts for coach development within clubs, particularly how important the use of language that we as coaches use. Again, a great show, packed full of takeaways. Really enjoyed this one. As always, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Jared, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's great to have you. So full disclosure here, uh, myself and Jared know each other a long time uh, in that he used to be my boss. Uh, thankfully now I get to ask him the questions today. Currently the games manager for Dublin GAA. So Jared, my first question, I suppose, is how did a Tyrone man end up as with one of the most strategically important jobs in Dublin GAA? Uh, well, first of all, that's a long story, so uh, I might have to skip a few a few years. It's nearly 20 years now uh, working for uh, Lancer J and specifically in Dublin. Um, I suppose my journey as a, as a coach began when I was about 15 years of age. Uh, my local club, which uh, was Shamrock's Hurling Club, would have been a very small club. Uh, not too many coaches involved and uh, my father would have been heavily involved in the club. We didn't have uh, many people that had lots of hurling experience and uh, I was particularly interested in helping others to play the game and I got involved with an under 12 team which was uh, one, two of my brothers were on and I helped them out as a coach, as a very novice coach and um, I suppose I took it from there. I had been involved in for a long number of years with the club coaching at different levels uh, all the way up right to adult level and then from that, I had a particular interest in, I suppose, working with players and trying to improve their, their skills or just their motivation for playing. I then was particularly interested in sports, so I went off and did a sports management degree. And at that particular time, there wasn't uh, many opportunities in sport, uh, maybe leisure centres and things like that were the only opportunities available. And I wasn't particularly interested in that line of work so um, I took a, a year after college and just went working and I was fortunate enough um, my mother one day saw on the teletext I don't know if you remember the teletext that was on the television but uh, they used to have um, jobs and different um, news articles on the RT teletext and she, she pointed out that there was a, a course that the GA were running um, to recruit coaching officers, stroke development officers and um, I was fortunate enough that I, I applied for that uh, course uh, which was in Thurlis in 1992 and uh, I was there for almost a year and a half with another 21 other guys from around the, the country and that was a brilliant experience for me because it was an opportunity to meet other like-minded people who were interested in coaching and, and, and potentially seeing this as maybe a career. And uh, we we spent a lot of time going visiting schools, um, both primary, secondary, doing some work at um, club level with, with summer camps. And we worked for a summer or two with the Tipperary County Board running their summer camps. I think they might have actually been one of the first county boards to run activity during the summer. And um, Paddy Butler actually was a principal of 
the lo- one of the local schools who we we visited on occasion, and he was a a brilliant uh, role model as a coach, hugely enthusiastic, um, and he just got everybody to uh, to buy into hurling and to want to play hurling, and it was just so infectious to see him and other teachers like him. So from there, I um, finished up that course and I was offered a job by the Tyrone County Board. And uh, um, I was sort of reluctant to move home because I, I, I had been living away from home for a while and uh, I, I wanted the experience maybe working somewhere else and getting an opportunity, more so from a hurling point of view, to be exposed to more hurling. Uh, Tyrone, you know, sort of limited number of clubs and exposure to hurling so I wanted to sort of broaden that a little bit but um, I took the offer that the Tyrone County Board uh, afforded me at the time and I was delighted to do that so I I, I moved back to Tyrone and I worked there for three years uh, as the very first games development officer in the county. in that time so obviously that would have been quite a new role and groundbreaking in, in some senses what would have been the big challenges that you would have faced during that? There were lots. Um, I suppose the fact that you were a full-time person working in a voluntary organisation was a massive challenge because um, we were sort of the first pioneers, as it were, working on the ground. So there was lots of... Um, hic- the, the job itself was was brilliant, uh, working with, with children in schools, uh, giving them an exposure to the game, encouraging them to play. Uh, they they were all the main reasons why I wanted to get involved. Uh, I suppose the 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 small little things that uh, w- would have been new, possibly even to the county board and to to the administrators, was just the whole HR side of things. You know, getting paid, um, having a base, um, equipment, uh, being managed. All of those things were new because you know they were volunteers and 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 I was somebody working uh, every day doing what I was paid to do, which was coaching. So there was lots of lots of little uh, challenges around, and I'm glad to say that a lot, most of those uh, challenges are are no longer there anymore. People, you know, they get their they get paid when they should get paid, and uh, and their equipment is available and all that. But I suppose it was <clears throat> it was an experience and. As the years went on, um, you know it it um, it lessened, but it definitely was uh, it definitely was um, you know a challenge at the beginning. Um, the work was enjoyable, and still is enjoyable, and the fact that you're meeting different people every day. And uh, I remember one time um, my girlfriend at the time came up to Toronto to see what I actually did. And she came visiting uh, some of the schools with me and she couldn't get over that the, some of the children would be standing at the gate waiting for me to come in. <laughs> you know, that this this great guy was coming in to t- take them for football in a small little two-teacher primary school in the middle of, you know, uh, the middle of the wilds of Tyrone and uh, how they really enjoyed their Gaelic games. And, and um, so that was hugely uh, energetic for me in terms of... Um, seeing people that really wanted to play and really wanted to express themselves uh, through, I suppose, the Irishness of Gaelic football and hurling and camogie. Yeah, it's interesting you say that a lot of those challenges have now, <clears throat> they don't happen that much anymore. I suppose in your sort of journey yourself to where you are now, you probably would have had a lot to do with that in terms of getting the right 
equipment, resources and stuff like that in terms uh, for the staff and the coaches on the ground. How did that develop over time? Obviously, you moved down then again towards Leinster and then into Dublin. How did that develop over time? Yeah, well, I suppose the, the move came really, it wasn't It wasn't anything to do with uh, the work, uh, just circumstances. My girlfriend then, um, and now my wife, uh, so, you know, it was either she was going to move up or I was going to move down and there wasn't maybe a job opportunity came up at the time and I just moved down. So that's that was, it. I mean, I still have a huge passion for Tyrone GA and where, where I can help, I try and help. To me, um, I see myself um, developing GA in Dublin and or GA in any other place. Uh, that's the way I, I look at it. So if people are interested in the GM, I'm delighted that they want to play the games that I'm particularly passionate about. Uh, coming back to the, the the point about bringing those experiences, um, yeah, I suppose the, the big thing I found was the the loneliness of the job. I suppose it's actually even even in the Dublin context where we have over fifty people working on the ground, it's still quite a lonely enough job because you're working on your own uh, for most of the time okay you're interacting with other people but you're not really working as a team maybe in a club you might uh, at committee level so there is that sense of isolation and from the point of view of bringing the guys together for training I think it's important that they share uh, those experiences Uh, they come together to train uh, to try and uh, uh, learn from each other so that you know it's not a case of reinventing the wheel and also that to get an opportunity to even to just you know, to build teams I know when we started way back um, when we first initiated the, the, the GPO program we would have had maybe 10 to 14 um, recruits training together for almost a month before they actually went out uh, to the clubs and I'm sure if you talk to any of them, they would have found that a really useful experience because of the fact that they were with other people, they were going to be doing the same type of job, maybe in, in different settings, but they, they had a network of people then when they went out working that they could always um, call on or, or touch base with if they had issues or whatever. Um, and that progressed then as the, as the next batch went out and the next batch. Unfortunately now, uh, with the economy picking up, or there's a number of people that have maybe been replaced, and it's harder and harder to find four or six weeks to train. So they're only coming together for sort of a minimum training, and then they're into the job straight away. So um, th- that that's a that's a challenge for the for the current guys, you know. So the the GPO scheme, just for anyone who's listening that's not uh, not aware, that's the games promotion officer. So you basically manage them in terms of what their sort of their day to day job is. Do you maybe talk us through your sort of how the job goes for you, like how you come, you how you decide what they're going to do, not on a micro level, but in terms of a general thing across the county. Yeah, um, I suppose how the thing has evolved. Um, Initially, at the beginning, it was um, obviously recruitment was a big part of it. And uh, we were starting from maybe a a very low base in terms of having full-time people on the ground. So it would have been recruitment, uh, interviewing, and then selecting. 
Now that has obviously decreased as we were able to fill those positions and then it moved into more of a training role and the training role is a sort of an ongoing thing because they're uh, while th these people were recruited at the start they would have been trained for their job like in every job there's there's ongoing training so regardless of whether it's um, child protection uh, GDPR whether it's technical training whether it's health and safety there's always training that people have to um, uh, take up and my role in, in at the moment would be to ensure that uh, the staff have adequate training to do the job um, and whether that's a new recruiter or somebody that's currently there so we would constantly do training needs analysis and then with um, support through the RDOs the regional development officers who, who manage more the day-to-day -day, um, work of the GPOs in terms of their work with the clubs and their schools and requests for particular coaching activities or initiatives. Um, I would work and liaise with them very, very uh, regularly, obviously work on a day-to-day -day basis with them. So we're in constant uh, conversations about what people need, uh, who, who might be moving on, what new people are coming in. So there's always a constant uh, conversation as a, as a team within the, within the games development section. So from that point of view, um, at the moment, like we will be preparing our training program for the year for our staff. And uh, we, we're sort of forecasting what we need to do with those people. And then also any of the new people that are coming in, um, what areas that we need to be working with them on as well. And would you get much feedback then from the coaches who are out on the ground, as in what their needs are, as in, and would you be trying to use that to, okay, let's make sure the basics are covered in training, but then let's try and cater for the needs of the coaches as well? Yeah, I suppose I'd be taking a lead on terms of what I feel they would need for the job. And then and then outside of that, then you would be asking them what they feel they they might need. Now, some, some guys or girls might fe might feel they need stuff but is it essential or desirable do you know what I mean so somebody might say that they need to do um, you know uh, something around um, technical a technical issue uh, or, or they might decide that they need something around PR and marketing and so you have to sort of decide well which is more valuable for their job so it might be more the technical stuff the PR and marketing might be a nice to do thing but it mightn't be a desirable so you have to balance up what they need for their day to day and then what other skills they can bring to the job and keep them motivated at the same time so we balance it up and uh, we try and make sure that there's that people um you know get energized by the training first of all and that you know that they're going away with a bit of a buzz and they feel that they've got something from it and it sets them up for you know for another six months or whatever so like any training it it has to have value yeah. yeah. Um and I know you you mentioned there that you're you're in the middle of putting together your plan for the year in terms of uh coach education and training and stuff, but that's not just for the, the coaches um that you're overseeing, that's also for the club coaches and stuff like that as well. So do you when you're putting the together a program like that, do you try and cater for the very, very beginner, the novice coach and try and, and also dealing with more the elite not the elite end, but more maybe someone more advanced in their coaching career? When you're looking at it, you're looking at the whole spectrum from right down to the very basic beginner. And um, we're doing some work at the moment with um, with some of our, our staff. Um, they're all, the vast majority of them are trained uh, tutors, so they're able to deliver coach education programs. But we're working with them to, uh, to roll out some uh, 
I suppose, parent or new novice beginners, where it's just a really practical engagement with 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 people who are who are coming down to the club with their with their children, and they want to get involved, uh, right up to the more advanced. Um, coach that might be working at, at adult club level who wants something around whether it be performance analysis or something around um, conditioning so we've 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 a, a vast array of both tr- workshops uh, courses and uh, more advanced courses for for people depending on what their needs are and um, I suppose the the training that the, the calendar of events that we put together are not just for the the full time staff, but for volunteers as well. And that'll be available on our website, which we 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 manage with um, um, some platforms to help us uh, register people and and get get people access to the courses as well. This year we decided that we would try and maybe keep the some of the award one programs that we run. Um, try and keep them as practical based as as possible. So we've developed a number of of webinars where people can view the more theoretical stuff online before they come to the course. And then when they come to the course, it's just all practical because from from talking to coaches um, and from reading, you know, the research that's out there, like information is available everywhere. And if information is available everywhere, why would we just be giving them that information when they come on the training course? So what we're trying to do is when they come to the training course, it's an opportunity for them to share uh, their experiences and and keep it in a very practical way. You can Google anything, change a tire, uh, climb a mountain. <laughs> you know, you can Google anything and, and uh, it'll pop up for you. So coaches are Googling and, and, and going on the internet to look at for knowledge. So we have to we have to be thinking, what added value can we bring if they come on a course? So keeping it practical, making sure that it's it's actually doing as opposed to talking about coaching. That's a very interesting point in terms of uh, how you're trying to change with the times. And I suppose the GA coach education structure has changed as well. So the foundation now, and then the award one for child, and then award one youth and adult. So the idea being, I suppose, that the the coach education model will grow as, along with the coach because nine times out of ten you end up a nursery coaching and then you end up going with that team for maybe 10 or 12 years can you maybe i know you're uh, one of the master tutors can you maybe talk through the coach education model and i suppose maybe how a little bit of how it evolved and how beneficial it can be for people coming into it yeah, I suppose coach education has been around a long time and uh, the GA the has a very extensive program of courses that are available specifically, as you said, for child, youth and adult. And uh, depending on which stream that you particularly are involved in, uh, there is a program available f- for, for you. I suppose the very basic um, entry point is the foundation course, as we, as we know it at the moment. And... Um, that is really around the how to coach skills. So how, how do you actually coach? And um, from from there, it leads then to uh, the child uh, program, the youth or the adult, depending on uh, what population that you're actually going to be coaching. And uh, really, the modules are based around the, the three T's and the three T's, three P's. So you have the technical, you have the team play, and you have the tactical. And then you have the psychological, the playing facts, and the performance analysis. And they're, and they're all uh, encompassed in what we call the O2 model. 
and they're the basic the, the basis of all of our programs so so all the modules are based around these elements uh, that the coach has to deliver in order to get the best out of their players or get the best out of their team and um, so so from from there then we move to the award too and again it's child youth and adult and we've put been particularly um, strong in promoting the award to child because we, we have a vast number of coaches at at the child level. When you look at the number of of uh, teams that are operating, we'll say at under eight in Dublin, uh, it's frightening. Uh, when you see on a weekly basis, like there could be over two hundred and fifty under eight teams playing every weekend. So you know that's over two hundred and you know whatever coaches. Uh, interacting with those those children and, and they, they, they'll probably stay involved with that group maybe until they're 11 or 12 years of age so there's almost a you know a five-year uh, cycle so if they get through the award one they, they might push on to the award two and the really enlightened guys are the award two coaches they're the guys maybe that are coming back to the club and sharing their best practice with the next group of coaches below them or to be you know, a, a lot of them, from my experience, end up as maybe the coaching officer in the club where they're coming back with, you know, the good practice and sharing it with the other coaches in the club. Uh, and then the the Youth Adult Award to, you know, potentially moving on into the adult and the minor level and particularly maybe those people involved with squads, working with squads. So you're looking more around the performance side of things. And as we speak, we last year we just did a pilot award two uh, which was really award three uh, because of the content and the and the duration of that course so that's really the the pathway as it as it stands at the moment and obviously uh, we're very much aligned with uh, coaching Ireland and um, they're the they, they, they provide the award body for 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 all our coach education yeah it's it's I'm very interested in, in terms of how you combine the theory and the practice because a lot of people will come to these courses with well, my experience we would come to the courses and they just want a lot of games and drills and stuff like that to bring back but how is that a challenge to enter sort of to to put that together the theory of why you're doing it or how you're doing it as well as the actual practical output that they can do yeah i suppose that's always the that's always the challenge people coming just to get ideas and we're no different than the beginner coach we go along to see somebody in another sport and we just want to see how do they do it how do they communicate how their creativity uh leads them to think the way they think and the the coaches come for ideas they come to get reaffirmed that they're doing the right thing and a lot of a lot of the cases they some of them are maybe have never played and they just feel I'm out of my depth. I, I need some I need some reassurance to say what I'm doing is actually okay. It's not you know it's not harming the children, um, and th- that's what I find. I find the the parents or the beginner coaches just want a safe place to try stuff out, and they ask questions about well what what if or uh, some problem solving stuff around whether it be managing a group or communication. Um, I suppose the technical stuff. Again, we can we can we can get all of that online, and I suppose we've developed a number of resources over the years to try and support the coaches. Uh, so when they come on the course, you can say, "Well, you know, we have a little book around teaching the skills. We have a little book around how to organise a nursery. We have a little book around if you're using the wall." So we're not saying you have to uh, make it up yourself. You can use these, but you know, 
these shouldn't be just seen as a, a crutch. Uh, as we as we all know, you know the the best coaches are the ones that can come up with their own ideas. But if you don't have those ideas, we shouldn't make it. We shouldn't not make it available to those people who maybe are struggling to come up with those ideas. And maybe over time they will become more creative and they will start looking at it in a different light. But um, I suppose. I'm lucky enough that I'm looking at this. I'm doing this every day of the week, so um, I can spend time to be creative. But other people don't have the same time. They're coming from jobs that they're busy. They're bringing their kids down, and they mightn't even have any planning time to look after the session. So if we can make it a little bit easier for them, and still make the session enjoyable for the children that are 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 in their uh, care, well, then I think that's a good thing as well. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good message for coaches listening that. You can get all the technical stuff, the drills and the and the stuff online, like you mentioned, but if they can come away from the course after improving their coaching skills, that that's a real big aim. Mm-hmm. And I do think that a lot of people at the start, they that's a really another good point is that they want that safe environment and try and learn. Mm-hmm. Um while we have you on, I really want to talk about um I suppose people will be listening and say oh, that's all fine, well and good at Dublin uh, there's a coach for that club or whatever in Dublin. If people are listening from a club, and it mightn't even be GA, but just listen, what would be your main tips for, let's say, getting best practice or structures in place for juveniles? So maybe start at like our nursery, explain what your top tips would that be, and maybe we go through it, if that's all right. Yeah, I might just go back maybe a step, and just maybe, for for, for me as a, as a player, um, one of the things that stands out, for me is maybe some of the coaches that I had and if if you recall the coaches that you've had over the years it's not necessarily um the things they did but it was maybe the way they communicated with you it was the the way they made you feel it was the energy they brought to the training it was the enthusiasm they saw in you and encouraged it so so it's not the what it's the how and I think that's the important thing it's the how of coaching and um you know through through my coaching career i've met lots of brilliant coaches and they might have come from it at a different you know a different angle somebody might have been very creative about what they were doing others were very caring about the person they were you know they they brought everybody with them and encouraged everybody to to be there Uh, it might have been that they were uh, very good at the discipline uh, and other people that were excellent technical so 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 there's lots of ways to be a good coach it's trying to get them all pulled together but coming back to your point about how can clubs that maybe don't have a a full-time resource um, there are lots of experienced people in clubs and I think it's trying to use those experiences to share them. Um, I work, did a bit of work in, in my own club in Fingalians, and uh, I decided that what we would try and do is maybe just hold a couple of meetings during the year with our coaches, because coaches <clears throat> are busy, and um, they don't want to go to meetings talking about finance and fundraising and membership and all of that. And that's they're all important parts of the club as well. They want to come about coaching and how how they could become better coaches. So I decided that I would organise a number of uh, sessions, only two or three in the year, and I was astounded by the number of people actually turned up. Um, it, we'd be lucky to get maybe twelve people to turn up for a juvenile meeting, and for the for the little coaching workshops we had fifty and sixty. 
And I suppose what we looked at was we looked at uh, technical things. We looked at organizational uh, tips. We looked at how to use language. And we kept it very practical. We did it in the hall. We spent maximum an hour and we just got people to share, like in a community of practice, what what issues they had and how they, we could all help each other to develop those. And I suppose the biggest compliment I, I ever got was <clears throat> from a coach. And he says, I learned more in those workshops about parenting than I did about coaching. So th- that was a that was a, a, a great experience to try and share that. So I, what I would say to clubs is um, there are lots of experienced people in the club. Rather than keeping them for one team and just focus on one team in the club, maybe use them as a community of practice with other coaches in the club or possibly other coaches in a different club to to share and to learn from each other. Um, I think that that is possible to do. Um, definitely working together rather than working in silos is, is always more beneficial in a club setting. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea in terms of bringing everyone together and just focusing on maybe one or two how to coach skills. I'm going to ask you for a couple of practical examples there. You mentioned, let's say, organization and use of language. Could you maybe go into that? Because I know, let's say, if someone's listening to that, they might mm. be saying, well, what does he mean there? The big one was um, the use of language. And somebody who I would consider to be um, my mentor as a coach would be John Morrison from Armagh. And um, he would have enlightened me uh, in terms of, I suppose, the psychology of coaching and, and how your language can affect people. And uh, I, suppose, I suppose we're sometimes unconscious of what we say, even on the sideline. If you if you go to uh, to any match, and you listen to the comments, the general comments that come out of people's mouth, unintentionally, unconsciously, um, a lot of it is very negative. So what I decided to do was having observed John um, doing a workshop around language, I I did something similar where I got people to. Uh, to explain and to just tell tell me the typical things that they hear on the sideline or they hear at training. And so we listed them all down and they were all, don't get stuck in, very bland, very, um, you know, non-descriptive type uh, cues and, and, and language. And we got them to list them all down. And then, then when we got them to list them all down, we just drew a line down the flip chart page and said, okay, Instead of saying, um, don't be afraid, how would you rephrase that in a positive way to get the child to do what you want them to do as opposed to what you don't want them to do? Because it's almost, uh, you know, putting the the word don't, our subconscious doesn't uh, take it on board. It's it's actually what we end up doing. Um, And, you know, no... No, no, no files or no goals. So all these negatives, how do we translate them then into positive? So we we use that as a, an opportunity for people to think about what they say and rephrase those negatives into positives. And uh, th- those were the sort of uh, ideas that we got and came and people came back with. Now, Obviously, doing it in a workshop is only one part of the of of the cycle. You have to put it into practice, and it is very very difficult if you're if you're used to saying, uh, uh, "Don't foul," "Don't put the hand on the back," 
uh, get stuck in, don't be afraid, because that's your language that they've always used. So you have to be very conscious that you're using it, first of all, and then come up with language that you want to say instead of what you don't want to say. I even heard the other day on Underdogs, one of the coaches on the sideline say, no goals. And what happened? The goal went in. So it's that type of language that we use all the time. And we need to be conscious of what we say and how it affects the players. And you got a good response from that from the coaches that you worked with? Yeah, a good response in terms of the workshop. Uh, and then it was trying to get them to reaffirm that when they're on the sidelines because we fall into habits and habits are very hard to break. So, you know, you, you try and get them to remember um, what we discussed in the workshop and try and put it into practice. And that isn't always easy. I, as a coach myself, uh, I would have tried to be very conscious of what to say and how to say it. And sometimes you fall into the trap of saying the saying it. But uh, I think if you, if, if, you, if you think about what language does to, to, to players and to a team, I think then you might be more conscious of what you say. That's a really, really good point. Uh, I like the way as well that you don't just do the workshop, you actually follow up as well. Because mm. I think we can all fall into that trap. Okay, that's sorted now, what's next? Whereas the, the follow-up is really, really important. Yeah. I think the most powerful thing that I've, I've ever done as a coach is actually got somebody to video me coaching. Um, because you get the warts and all, and uh, you, you get to hear the things you say, and also you get to see what you're doing. And I think as a coach, if it's one of the it's one of the things that we use on the award too is actually we video the, the coaches video themselves and they critique what was good, what wasn't so good, and what areas would they like to improve on. I think if coaches really wanted to learn and wanted to improve, you know, they would be open to that sort of learning. But some some of us are are, are afraid maybe that they might see things that they don't like. I want to ask you about. Let's give you a scenario and and ask your advice on it. So we have, uh, let's say, a guy who's in charge of an under-10, under-11 team in a club and the focus may be on winning. I want to ask you in terms of your views on why you mightn't agree with that and the importance of maybe looking further down the line. Well, first of all, I think winning has become a bad word. I think there's nothing wrong with winning. I think it's how you, how you, how you put it, what perspective you put on it. Uh, I think as players, we're all competitive. We all want to do our best. And yes, w- winning winning is only one measure of how successful you are. Um, I, th- I, I, As a coach, I, I think I used to set targets with some of the, the groups that I coached, not on the outcome of the, the match, but on the skills that they performed during the game. So, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd ask them to... Um, see if they could hit a ball on their other side or did they make a catch or did they get a block. So I wouldn't be too focused on the outcome of the game. I'd be asking them at the end, who got a block today? Who got a catch? So you're looking at the skills of the game. and um, so. I, but I do think that the word you know, winning and the competition is almost seen as a bad word now. I think it's important because it teaches a lot of life skills about resilience, getting up, going again, uh, you know, somebody has to lose, somebody has to win, but it, it, it's, it's to put it into perspective and to make sure that, um, that we look at other factors that develop the player. 
you've a lot of experience in coaching in Ireland and you've been around a long time. How would you rate coaching in Ireland at the moment? I, I think um, I was at a conference last week in, in Leeds and I think when I hear other sports and see what they're doing internationally, I think the GA is as good, if not better, than most sports in terms of um, how we coach, um, the, the fact of the whole community and the idea of playing for your area. I think a lot of sports um, would like our model but don't have it. I think the fact that you're playing in an area that you grow up in and you know, you're hugely passionate about that place that you're from and the identity from your county to your club, uh, that's massive. And that that that's it's almost I, I think it's impossible to recreate. And I think it's 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 the power of the GA, the fact that we're able to coach and to play at at our at our different levels uh within the organization is 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 massive i i, I think that uh, we have some of the we've some of the best coaches some of the most creative coaches some of the coaches that have been involved in the ga are, are in demand from other sports because of the i suppose the the skills that are transferable into rugby to soccer to basketball There's so many skills that uh, hockey that are transferable in, in in Gaelic football and hurling that you know our games are so all round in terms of using your feet your hands your head the team aspect of it um, the fitness so it's um, it's really encouraging when you go to the conferences and you and you hear some of the research and you hear some of the practices that are being used and you say well we're doing that too and we, you know it's, it's it's a great way to be reaffirmed that uh, that uh, you know what you're doing is actually good practice Everyone we have on the show, we ask them a couple of questions at the end, or well, three questions at the end. Um, so I'm going to start with the first one. What does the term successful coach mean to you? I think what it means is the coach that's willing to learn and develop, that isn't just stuck in, that in one time. Um, I definitely have learned over the years. I don't think I'm the same coach as I was 20 years ago. As I was last year, and I think you know you learn, you grow, and to be a successful coach, I think you have to grow. You have to constantly read, you have to share, uh, you have to talk to other people, and I think if you do that, then I think that's successful coaching. What's the best book resource that you'd recommend to coaches listening? There's a number, and uh, I have a, a library, but some books go missing from time to time. So uh, I don't have any, Jared. That's not, <laughs> not on me. Um, I have a, a few. Um, the last book that I that I that I read um, it was called "The Pressure Principle" by uh, Dave Aldred, and I think it's a brilliant uh, read, especially the the chapter on communication. And I've I've used a lot of that this year in terms of affirmations. Um, I've actually done some stuff with my own son around affirmations and using pictures. I think it's very, very powerful. Also, uh, Rainer Martin's successful coaching. I think it's a, it's a stable for any coach really, and um, and then the the books that that we've produced in the GA. There's some of them that are really good in terms of the um, technical stuff. But they they would be they would be some of the some of the books that. Yeah, the Rainer Martin's one yeah. has been mentioned on the show before, and yeah. I think it is it's a fantastic resource. Yeah. Last question. What are your top tips for developing coaches? And I know we may have covered some of this already, but it's a nice way to summarize it up. 
Yeah, I suppose it's probably not just one tip, but I think there's probably a whole a whole raft of tips. Um, definitely, um, being open to learning is 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 one tip. Um, going and looking at other coaches and and uh, maybe getting yourself a mentor, um, somebody that you can trust, somebody that you can bounce ideas off, or would be happy to share some of the ideas that they've used. Uh, I have a number of guys that you know would ring me up and I would ring them up. And I think uh, when you have that openness to learn from each other, I think that's that's key in terms of um, developing yourself as a, as a coach and um, trying out things as well. Um, I like to try out uh, different things and if they don't work, they don't work, but have a go, I think, and be creative because players are creative by their nature on the field when they're playing. And I think the coach has to be creative as well too in how they do things, and that sort of mixes it up then for, for 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 your for your players. It's been fantastic having you on. The insights from your time with the GAA are invaluable, in both the coach education side and the practical tips for coaches out there. I think anyone involved in coaching, listening from novice to elite levels, will be able to get something out of that. And just thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Bubble. I hope you learned something that can help your own coaching in some way. Anything referenced on the show, like books or podcasts, if you follow our Twitter page, at Bubble Coaching, we'll put everything up there. You can find us on SoundCloud. We'd love some feedback, so feel free to leave a comment or a review. Once again, the show is brought to you by the Coach Education and Development Centre of the Camogie Association. Thanks for listening. Till next time.